Hey guys, this is Spacey, and welcome to Cora's podcast, Filmmaking, actually. This is part one of a two-part series featuring Cora and her very special guest, award-winning documentary filmmaker Ansley Sawyer. Enjoy! Hello! Uh, Welcome back to my podcast, Filmmaking, actually. Ta-da! You'll have to forgive me this week. I'm getting over a sore throat, so I sound a little bit like I'm trying to do a Barry White impersonation. Enjoy. Uh, So I always ask uh, in these podcasts if there's any specific question that people have. And uh, last week I was asked by the wonderful film student Erica Taylor what it takes to make a documentary. I think that's a really good question because it's definitely a different process than narrative. But I don't have a ton of experience doing documentaries. I've produced a couple of them with my husband But I'm very, very lucky because there is a woman who is probably one of the best documentary filmmakers I have ever met. Her films include uh, Nomad of Mongolia, Hong Kong Strong, and an absolutely incredible and very important documentary uh, called Like We Don't Exist. That's available on Facebook. I highly recommend you check it out. And her name is Ansley Sawyer. Yay! Yay! Thank you for having me, Cora. Thank you so much for being here. I mean, you know I'm a huge fan of your work, and you really caught my attention um, when I first met you at the Women's Film Festival, and you were talking about making your documentary like we don't exist. And I just really loved not only your voice, but just your respect for your subjects. And I could tell that like you weren't like trying to tell a narrative in a documentary way, but you actually wanted to document what was actually there, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And it goes all the way down to just sort of the vision and the spirit of the film. And when we met, actually, it was sort of part of a greater conversation about the presence of the director as an outside eye and as somebody who curates um, and what their responsibility or sort of what are the ethics of having a point of view. Um, and I think that we kind of jumped like headlong into this conversation because like like many issues that are worth discussing in this in this field, you know, there's journalism versus documentary, and then there's verite versus observational, and then there's scripted versus unscripted. And then at the end of the day, it's really just like, what story are you trying to tell? And that's sort of like the guiding theme that really helped us specifically with like we don't exist but also just in the way that we approach our projects um in my production company but also with friends like you Cora like even with passion projects even one minute films even you know little camera tests it's not about the gear it's not about you know the budget although all those things are important but it's really about the the stance that you're trying to take or at least the mission, like, why are you making this film? And if the answer is, I just want a symmetrical number of laurels on my poster, like, that's not a good answer. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, But that's, that's just a little bit of my philosophy on, like, why documentary in the first place. Awesome. So um, one of my first uh, podcast episodes, I walked through the procedure of making a narrative film, like, from the first moment of, I want to make a film to you have a film, it's been distributed or it's in festivals or whatever and everything in between. And I thought it would be cool if maybe we talked about that process, but from a documentary side. Um, And um, I have my outline from the first episode because I thought maybe it also could be kind of cool to compare the two. 
Um, yeah. 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 So Let's do it. awesome. Erica asked, what are the steps for making a documentary specifically? So I will say that um, I know for me, like as a narrative filmmaker, I feel like it's important for people who are going into filmmaking of any kind to have their own process and to find what works for them. Like for narratives, I say that, you know, whether it's a two second decision made by someone on the ground or it's a 20 year decision that some studio executive takes to make in their boardroom, it's still a process that somebody's gonna have to do. Would you say that goes the same for documentaries or is it a little bit more codified? Well, so just to start off, I think that when I'm speaking to my experience with documentary, it's in a very, very specific style. And so when I'm answering these questions, it's Ansley's answer. It's not like this is what documentary is. Because to be clear, I didn't go to film school. <laughs> hey, me neither. I didn't, you know, and I'm not... I'm not trying to, I mean, every storyteller or production company or anything in between needs to understand, like, what kind of stories do you want to tell? Um, not just how do you want things to look good or <laughs> how do you want people to feel good, but what kind of stories do you want to tell? Um, and that informs very much your process. And so I think that the process is an important skeleton by which you can facilitate the storytelling. But more importantly than that, you need a vision. And if you don't have a vision, then you won't have a motor to push you through the inevitably difficult times of, especially in documentary, letting the story unfold in front of you and feeling like you're kind of adrift without a rudder. And the process is not what lets the story, excuse me, the process is not what lets the story unfold. It's, very much the vision and it's the mission behind why are you making the documentary so you can have processes like okay in a 24-hour cycle on like a two-week production i'm gonna wake up and then i'm gonna go like have some protein and then i'm gonna go shoot with my subject before dawn and then i'm gonna shoot for three hours and then i'm going to give them a break and then i'm gonna log footage like that's that's your process but why are you doing it do you know what I mean? So like if if you're doing it because you want to make a baller film, that might be true, but it's probably not enough to allow the real story to resolve itself and to unfold itself. So to give a very specific example, um, with my film, Like We Don't Exist, it was, we were, and I'll just give a very brief description of it. It's about the longest ongoing civil war in the world that nobody knows about, specifically uh, it's violence that's been perpetrated since 1947 by the Burmese military on all of their ethnic minorities living in uh, modern colonies um, in Burma, which is also called Myanmar. And so my team, my very small team and I, lived on the Thai-Burmese border for close to two years, or for two years, and we were very deeply embedded with this community of people called the Kareni, and that's the community that we focused on for the purposes of this film, even though their experience is representative of many other ethnic minorities who are experiencing like like warfare right now, including the Kachin, the Koren, um, and their experience is very similar to other immigrants, refugees, and ethnic minorities that are destabilized by just general violence around the world right now. Um, in Africa, in Europe, I mean, we're just seeing super destabilization. And so, you know, as a storyteller, as a producer, as a director, as a filmmaker, as an editor, as all of these things, like, like, why would I want to tell a story like that? And all too often, especially in journalism, we 
almost like look at it as like, well, we just need a story that that fulfills a certain headline because we're trying to flush out our programming. But that's not for this kind for this kind of work that I'm speaking to. Um, our mission was to provide a platform for an unheard, a previously unheard voice. And it's not that the issue had never been given attention. The issue was that it was always a white person who, you know, parachuted in and stood in front of them saying like, ah, as you can see behind me, these people are suffering. And that's just like such a myopic perspective of a decades long conflict that is complicated, honestly, and stories are complicated. And that's our work that we have to do is separate out the beginning, middle, end, and also be fair to your subject, treat them with utmost compassion and, uh, and not be overly biased, but instead try to present a story that moves people, but without stuffing truth down their throats. And so to do that, sometimes you just kind of have to release your grip on the process. Like when you come in and you're working with non-actors, you're asking people about the worst days of their, their life the last thing that you can do is rely on your process because they don't care about your process. They care about what you're going to do with the videotape of them talking about the day their father was killed or the day the military came in and raped, burned, and pillaged the entire community. I mean, so the, so the process is an, a good internal uh, mechanism, I think. And it's the only thing that keeps me sane <laughs> when we, you know, inevitably have low funding or we need more fixer resources or language resources or technology resources. Um, but I think that really practicing sort of like an agnostic sense of like, okay, yeah, let's shoot with an iPhone right now because it's a little bit sensitive because these lights are scaring people, you know? And like that, you have, your process needs, at least in my case, to be nimble and flexible because it's all about giving ultimate service to the story. That's, that's personally what I believe. And the reason why is because like once you inevitably come up against these obstacles of people intimidating you or people being scared to be on camera or, you know, what have you. And that's that's just story related obstacles, not even production. Um, like your van gets stuck on the side of a muddy mountain road and you need a spare tire and you're six hours away from civilization. Like your process doesn't matter there. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't matter. And it's not going to get you out of that situation. What's going to turn that obstacle into an opportunity is saying, okay, what is my fixer saying? Can I do an interview with him? Like, is there something else going on? Can I get B-roll of the hillside? Like, where, where are we? And, and how does this relate to the story? And sometimes that means putting your, down your goddamn camera and just like releasing your grip a little bit off of your process because you're there to listen, especially in documentary documentary and it's almost never a bad idea to like take an opportunity to to let go a little bit and and make sure that the story that you think that you're hearing is really what's being projected okay so that's our episode ladies and gentlemen no i'm just (laughs) kidding (laughs) so many things you said in there are such obviously i'm not a documentary filmmaker but there's things that are just important to me as like a human being you know like Mm-hmm. putting down your camera sometimes being involved with the yeah. humans in front of you um so especially uh, i'm sorry i don't mean to no interrupt, no but please. i mean that's such an important point because people have a very different relationship with cameras 
when they're not professionals or when they're not often around cameras. And even me, I work with cameras for a living. Like I get weird when somebody, when I can tell that somebody's filming me. Mm. Um, and so it's, it's such a sensitive dance of knowing when to be very daring and when to like turn the camera on and not <coughs> flinch and not turn it off. But like with everything, there, there needs to be a balance. And if you're always in people's faces, and I've seen this a lot at like cultural or ethnic festivals, especially where it's sort of like um, a human zoo kind of feeling of like lots of international photographers, like like Nomads of Mongolia was like that. Like we originally thought we were, there's this region in Mongolia, just to explain to your audience, um, that's really interesting. It's Western Mongolia. Um, it's populated by primarily ethnic Kazakh people who are nomadic and they have this really special thing where they have golden eagles that they <laughs> use oh my to gosh. hunt <laughs> and we were like okay that's really cool and this was before the whole golden eagle phenomenon kind of swept through the visual community um with uh what's what's the film about the 16 year old girl she's now like 18 or 19 um anyway in the Altai Mountains, like, this whole community is there, and there's this thing called the Golden Eagle Festival, and we're like, okay, yeah, we'll just fly in for this, like, cultural heritage festival, and it was all foreign photographers with their, like, five-foot-long Canon lens, like, telegraphing into people's fucking souls, excuse me, <laughs> like, like, and it was, it was like a hog fest, it was, it was a lot, it was a lot. And, um, and we just kind of looked at each other, my, my partner, my creative partner and the director of the film and the editor, my amazing mentor and just like person who taught me everything I know, Brandon Lee, we we're just kind of like, this is, this is weird. This doesn't feel like a real good story. Like the, like people are just displaying their lives. Um, and it's very much like a parade. It's very much a show. And I mean, part of that was like us being like, okay, so our film is our, our film idea is stupid and we had to put down our cameras and be like okay what's the real story here and it took a couple days of being like well let's meet people let's get invited to their homes let's see what their real lives are like and that's what the story ended up being and so not to go too far down that rabbit hole but that's that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about like you have to do service to the story before you try to fulfill your process because often the process can lead you down a path that will fulfill your budget and your investors if that's who you're reporting to, but you might not make a satisfying story. And that's really what separates the incredibly compelling visual, I mean, like journeys that you see that are staff picks that are festival winners with like, at a certain point, we just needed to get this done. And it might've originally been a good idea, but I'm just happy that it's not unfinished in my hard drive kind of thing. Like, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's important, like you said, to get it done. Um, maybe the story is more compelling than the lens flare and like some sort of like Ari Alexa mini that you shot on. Um, right. I, I mean, I just want to say something about the gear really quickly, especially with documentary, the kind that we do. I mean, like mirrorless 4K... Blackmagic Pocket 6K, you know, Sony a7 III cameras are what's up. And yeah, okay, like it's a prosumer camera. It's not an RE. It's not what I would bring onto a set. It's not what I would delegate for a narrative. Um, and no, I can't go shot by shot and frame by frame. I have a very different process 
like particularly, and I'm not trying to be a smart ass and say like, there is no process, like process doesn't matter. Cause it really does. Oh, I've really got a whole line matter. of questions. Don't worry. We're like, I'm, okay, I, 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 yeah, no, I wanted to get this, like these, like, um, like your overall thoughts. And then I've got like an outline that we're going to go through in a second. <laughs> it's just not the most important part to me. It's really not. It's like listening and coming in with very clearly defined understanding of what what are people interested in like why would they tell their story to you and everybody has a different motivation um but just really understanding like what kind of story do you want to tell what kind of storyteller do you want to be in general like is this part of a greater body of work um like and and why are you telling this story and sometimes the answer is like um, I really like music videos, and so I'm making a documentary about this musician, and I'm going to make a music video out of it. Or maybe it's like, I'm really concerned about affordable housing in my community, and I'm just going to walk around and interview three different people about it. Uh, whatever it happens to be, but if you don't have that passion, if you don't have that drive, like, you, like, you might as well stop, because there's no greater direction that's going to propel you towards like, telling a compelling story, which is a shame. Because there are so many compelling stories that need to be told. And it's funny, but I actually feel like that maybe is a commonality between narrative and documentary because, um, I mean, I was just talking to somebody on a narrative project and I was like, usually I'm like, I love making movies. I want to do this forever. But right now I'm just like, movie making sucks. I hate this process. I don't want to do it anymore. And I can see why people get bitter in either field. Um, I think being connected to your purpose is an important thing for either, you know, a narrative or a documentary filmmaker. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not the kind of person I don't, I don't mean to cast any judgment, but what's the point of being a storyteller unless you're really proud of the story that you're telling? Right. It's, it's not, I mean, accolades are really nice, but if you're just doing it so that you can have a lifestyle or so that you, you know, I just, that's, that's not what motivates me. Now, that's not to say that it's not about KPI. It's not about SEO. It's not about uh, commercial success because it is because a lot of time it's not your own money that you're playing around with. Right. Um, and it's not about the money. And I've been misunderstood when I've said that in the past. <laughs> 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 I've been very misunderstood, but um, and that's okay. Like you can run that and be like, okay, this, this like female documentary filmmaker, like she's like, it's not about the money, man. And like, that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is unless you have a compelling story identified that deserves to be t- well told, then don't do it. Just don't do it. Wait until you have a better idea and spend all of your energy and resources on that. Because the other thing is that from the idea to distribution all along the way, you're going to need to convince people with your own passion why this story needs to be told. And that includes your team. That includes the people that you're going to be interviewing. And also, like, if you come in with a lot of confidence and you're like, I think your story is fascinating. I think it deserves a greater audience. I think people could learn something from this or what have you then people will be excited about being involved. And if people aren't excited about being involved, again, like, what are you, what are you creating that hasn't existed before? What do you, how are you adding value in a way that somebody needed that value in their lives? And just, I believe that if I'm not doing that, I'm, I'm wasting my effort and I should wait for a better opportunity to come along and I can, like, edit old photos or whatever or, like, do my taxes <laughs> in the meantime. Seriously, because, like, Life is 
I, life is busy. <laughs> and like work on things oh that gosh. you really, really, really care about. Work on stories that are fascinating to you because people will be drawn by that. It's magnetic. When you're passionate about something, people can tell. And that extends past distribution. That extends past film festivals. You know, that extends past Vimeo curation or whatever. Like if you bring that passion to it, like this, and you put the story first, it, that's what makes all the difference. For me, I have a personal opinion, and this is for documentaries that I've worked on and documentaries that I've started. I feel like, like you mentioned scripts. Okay, if I want to make a documentary about a car show, and I know the car shows at two o'clock on a Tuesday, there's this type of cars, these type of people come to it. I've been there, I've seen it, and I'm just going to go like document it. And it sounds super boring. But um, I feel like having a sort of beginning, middle and end of what I want to show about the car show. But let's say I want to make a documentary about what it's like to be a 20 year old ballet dancer in New York City. How, like how scripted because I feel like you shouldn't script. I feel like you should say I want to tell a story about what it's like to be a 20 year old in New York City. And unless you already know someone's story and you're just trying to capture the pieces you already know like where does how do you not script a documentary to the point where you're no longer observing what's in front of you but you're starting to see through a lens like literally mm. when you're in the v development process we're talking about like you're like okay I'm going to make a documentary how do you put the idea together in a way and do you agree about the script or no script I don't even know if I'm asking that question right but mm. um does that make sense as a question or should I re should I re-explain? No, I think it makes sense as a question. And I think it strikes at a couple different um, points. And I'm just going to take what you said and kind of run with it. So I think you very clearly identified the core challenge of documentary, as I understand it, which is finding a clear beginning, middle and end. And the end is especially difficult, especially for events that are unfinished or unresolved. Um, and it's outside of the scope of your production schedule. Um, or for whatever reason, like it happened in the past, or there just is no conclusion, like civil war. Like if, if I, a 20-something filmmaker, could come in and figure it out, <laughs> 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 which is extremely precocious uh, to assume, especially when it comes to what I'm presenting to an audience. So especially once you start to throw in some ethical things like that, structuring the story becomes really crucial and this is where the process especially from as you said a developmental level becomes really important so to go all the way back to ideation where i start and my history is i started as a producer not a producer in a hollywood sense produce like i'll just give a, a short background i used to i went to theater school um after undergraduate studying international relations i was working as a performer as a singer as a theater actor and in the off seasons to make money i was working as a sailor on like sailboats in greece and throughout the mediterranean i hate um, you sorry like, <laughs> i know it's stupid it's no it's sentences. amazing i know it's it's like ridiculous but like you gotta do what you gotta do like pay do pay those bills girl and um and I accepted this gig delivering a yacht from Mexico to Cuba. And like, I got str long story short, read my memoir in 20 years. I got <laughs> stranded in Cuba and it was crazy. And like through a maelstrom experience of literally like $500 left in my bank account, I'm like, what am I doing? Because I want to tell stories of people 
Um, but theater is too isolated and it only allows me to deliver a certain story at a certain time to a certain audience. And it all tends to be pretty much the same people paying the same amount, listening to the same message, which was very frustrating. And I wanted to incorporate travel. So I ended up meeting my mentor, Brandon Lee. I saw his video. I sent him a message. I was like, do you need help? Make a good grilled cheese sandwich, like whatever you need. Did not expect to hear from him. He emailed me back. He's like, I need a lot of help. And then... I ended up becoming his assistant, then his producer, then I was pitching him projects, then we started traveling around the world together making cool videos. And I was I was basically his like everything. Um and like like editor and like booked hotels and stuff. And so I saw firsthand through him, like that was my trial by fire. Like instead of going to film school, I worked with an incredible nomadic film director and just learned his method basically. Um, and just learn, like, I didn't even really particularly have an interest in getting behind the camera until I was the beta cam. <laughs> and we're the two of us there, like, wearing all the hats, DIT, production. So when I say producer, I mean, like, I'm one of a two-person crew trying to get the impossible shot. Like, he's the director, I'm the producer, and he's like, I, like... With uh, Hong Kong Strong, he's like, I want to get up on top of the bamboo scaffolds on some of these high-rise construction projects, which is impossible. And so it's my job to socially network my way into getting that shot. So to go all the way back to your original question, which is from a development phase, how do you make sure that you're telling a cohesive story that's consistently interesting to your audience? It, it all comes down to like, let's take your ballet dancer in New York. Like, okay, we're interested in the ballet dancer in New York. Yeah. Um, why? Why are you interested in them? Uh, maybe because they have a difficult family life or maybe because you're trying to highlight the systematic um, oppression that they feel in other parts of civil society or whatever your angle is, like that is kind of in your back pocket and you pick your subject accordingly. So for me, it all starts with getting the right support because for me, like ideation needs necessarily to go directly into production as long as I know that I've given myself a safety net of, of the resources that I'm going to need, because most of the stuff that I'm doing is international in nature. So I'll give you an example. When I started working on Like We Don't Exist, I was like, okay, I need to meet refugees on the Thai-Burmese border. So then I started reaching out to friends who might work in the nonprofit NGO space, who might know of some people who are living on the Thai side of the border. And then you meet a person who knows a po- person who kno- knows a person, and within a two-day time span I had found my subject or at least I had found the person who was to introduce me to the community and he became a part of our production team and a very close friend of mine his name is John but I I didn't know that I wanted to find John I knew I needed to find somebody like John right and then when I sat down across from John I was like oh you're it you fulfill the uh, list that I drafted for myself two weeks ago and again the list was human rights, access to refugee camp, speaks English, speaks the native language, is interested in film, wants to bring the story of their community to the outside world, has available time, understands that it's a passion project and that we're not trying to make a a profit off of this. Like it's just an awareness film. And so we had sort of better motivation. Um, And so a lot of that is connection and you have to learn how to say a lot of no's. Sometimes you'll meet people who really want to be in your film, especially in documentary, and they're not the right person. And you have to, like your time is really precious. And so, like I said, like you have to give yourself a deadline. So I gave myself two days. I was like, okay, we're gonna, I'm gonna fly in on this day and we're gonna start filming on this day. 
this is when my uh, co-director and the DP of the film, Corey Embring, was going to fly out. I was like, okay, by the time he flies out, I need to have found the subject. And not giving yourself any opportunity to put it off till next week helps light a fire under other people to uh, be, like catch your feels, basically, for the story. And it, it makes it spark. It really does. And uh, like within a week, we were in the refugee camp shooting uh, and living and working with these people and getting a deeper understanding of what is the real story here. And the story that we filmed in the first week was not the story that we ended up telling. Because I think the second part of my answer would be time and trust. You can't come in if you're trying to tell. I mean, you can't. You can do anything. But um, but the more time that you have to give to your subject, the better it's going to be. And the more time that you have to give to the edit, the better it's going to be. Because your first draft is going to be interesting. But do you have people interested? And have you listened to what the real story is? And have you, you know, stuck around and kept rolling and just got people comfortable with the camera and had a fly-on-the-wall sort of presence, um, time builds that trust. And the more that you can have your camera open... I mean, like, yeah, okay, you need to get, like, a G drive. Like, you need eight terabyte drives. Like, that's what it means. <laughs> the, and, and it's hard, and you have to do your dailies, and you have to do string outs, is what we call them, just the best shots from every day, one 4K timeline, one HD timeline, one aerial. And and it's exhausting. And you're working 17-hour days when you're in production and eating meals with these people and playing with their kids. And it is the most exhausting thing I've ever done. And that's why I love it, because <laughs> it's not just the edit. It's not just the story with a capital S in quotes <laughs> that you're dealing with people's lives. Those are true relationships right. that you can invest in. This is, you're not dealing with actors. That's a different process. Working with actors. I can only imagine how lovely that would be to work with a professional who you ask them to go through an internal emotional process and then to project it for others so that they can feel something that that's so cool and i haven't done that in years and that's something i want to start working on honestly but instead to work with non-actors in a way that makes them feel comfortable makes them feel heard makes them feel understood um and this is you know mirroring the process my my process is somewhere between observational i don't even know what to call it you know those overlapping venn diagrams of like cinema verite <laughs> yeah i don't know what it is what i do is i sit right behind the camera I get these people really comfortable with me. I set up the whole space and I won't let them be the person testing the light or the sound or anything like that. I spend a lot of time with them before I sit down and interview them. I don't give them any idea about what we're gonna talk about. I give them lots of like warm and fuzzy conversation, just listening to them. Like I, I never come with a list of questions prepared. And then we go deep and then it, you ask really hard questions. You just listen to whatever they have to say. <laughs> and it's really hard, but the, that's, that's the work that you have to do. Like if you didn't work to build that relationship, you wouldn't have the trust and they wouldn't feel comfortable being vulnerable in front of camera, crying in front of camera, or saying something that they've never said to anybody else before. Right. Uh, that's the story. That's how you get the story. People will give it to you. You just need them to trust you. That's it for part one of this two-part series. The next episode will be the last half of this conversation between Cora and Ansley. 
So join us, won't you? Okay, that's it. Bye. You've been listening to Filmmaking Actually with Coralinda, Space Dream Productions podcast. Subscribe to us on any or all the podcast platforms, but we especially recommend our sponsor, Anchor. If you like what you hear, leave us five-star ratings and positive reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. It helps more listeners like you discover the show. But the best thing you can do if you really like the show is tell a friend. Want to leave a comment or ask a question? Email at filmmakingactually at gmail.com. This is Spacey speaking. That's not really my name. My name is Spacey and I'm speaking. And we'll see you next time.